Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, even so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we're members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy uh, in proportion to our um, faith. If service in our serving. What this guy's from Admi and, and he's just throwing me that they also recommend. Who is whose mic is hot? Someone's mic is hot. I don't know who. Anyone catch that? Okay. They might have muted themselves. Um Verse seven says, If serving if service then in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so now we find ourselves at verse 9. Verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So, if you guys have thoughts, questions, uh, connections to other scriptures that you see, um, so far, what we've read, uh, put your hand up and let us know that you have something to share, something to say. We can maintain some order in this house. Thoughts, questions, insight? Not all at once. I see Matt typing. Come on. Seattle man says, I got something. All right, Seattle man, step up to the plate. Let's hear it. So when I hear verse nine, I think of Galatians, I believe it's five, 16 through 17. I might be wrong on the exact verses there, but it's, I think, 16 and 17 in, in Galatians chapter five. Um, so I'm saying this is more of an Oregon. This is let's see here. Let me look it up real quick. Galatians five, 16 through 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Um, I think verse 9 kind of parallels Galatians 5, 16, and 17 there. And it's funny, too, because I was actually shown... 16 and 17 a couple weeks ago and then i was showing it again today on a separate occasion um so it's just something that's been on my mind quite a bit but i think uh could you read out verse nine again real quick yeah it says let love be genuine abhor what is evil or detest hate what is evil hold fast to what is good yeah i think especially abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good i think uh it's kind of like 
I think for me, right, and probably for many other people, it'll it kind of gets to the point where you kind of like your sin sometimes, and mm. sometimes you don't want it. Sometimes you don't even want to admit that to yourself. Yeah, right. Good but point. um, but basically, the way that, and especially because the context of the rest of the chapter of Romans, it's talking about renewal of the mind, and so. I think the only way really to abhor what is evil and hold on to what is good, it's a total mindset shift, mind change, basically, which is really just repentance, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just saw that little parallel there. That's all. Man, fantastic. And I think you bring up a point, like, just like you said, that a lot of people don't want to admit, which is that, you know, sometimes as much as we this word detest actually means to dislike intensely Yeah. Uh, as much as we intensely dislike sin and the feeling and the consequences and the sense of conviction that comes attached to that. We sometimes we do coddle and we do entertain sin in a way where, you no, know, you're actually revealing that you have a, a, a taste or a palate for sin in that, in that moment. Um, yeah. which isn't to say like that, you don't have a heart that's opposed to sin, you know, by the grace of God. It just means your flesh in that moment was actually something that, that you desired to give into while at the same time, knowing that it's not good and having that sense of, I don't want to do this. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is, I think where uh, Paul talks about make no provision for the flesh. And it, you, you hit the nail on the head when you say like, that's why this is connected to letting our mind be transformed. I can't control the desires I have, but I can control the environment uh, that I that I encourage, which will either cultivate the right desires or the bad or the wrong ones. You know, like I'm totally in control of the kind of uh, life and environment I find myself in on a consistent basis that either feeds the flesh or encourages the things of the spirit. And and as you seek the truth, as you know Jesus your mind so becomes renewed over time that this, this intense dislike of sin becomes to be more true to your experience where I think new Christians hear this and they're like, yeah, like I just know that sin is wrong and that's the only reason I don't want to do it. And they haven't yet come to a place, I guess in their maturity where they actually feel a sense of detest uh, towards their sin. It's just like, a, mm, God says this is wrong. And that's, that's the only negative aspect of it. Whereas when you grow, it becomes more of no, like I really do see evidence of the heart of God within me, which is to hate sin and evil. And so it's just a great parallel uh, that you make. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's very, um, it's definitely very, Humbling, though, when you find yourself in that situation where you are, you know, you do in that moment like the sin, you know what I mean? But then, like you said, it's that also reminds me of when Paul says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, man, that is so true. Well, I'm going to get to Matt now. He got his hand up. Matt yep. underscore capital T capital R. Go ahead, Matt. All right. So. I really like uh, everything that you guys are talking about so far. It's just, it's really good stuff. Um, especially that verse that, that you guys posted in there. 
because I was going to bring up, you know, like it's such a small verse. Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Um, it, and there's like there's so much that can be learned. I feel, but we have to like really dive in. Like, what does the Bible say evil is? You know that that verse about the you know the desires of the flesh being contrary to the the Holy Spirit. You know is a warm shower <laughs> a desire of the flesh is a piece of candy a desire of the flesh you know and and like hold fast to what is good this idea that to be transformed by the renewal of your mind like the main thing that we do with our mind is direct our attention and I guess I would argue, at least with the stuff I've been reading recently, is a pretty good definition of good, at least a biblical definition, from what I can understand, is anything inside of God's will is good, and then anything outside of his will is arguably not good. So to keep your attention on him, you know, it it causes this renewal of your mind, and it really correlates with, like, when I sin, I... To sin, I have to take my mind off of God, you know, because it's, <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever try to keep your mind on God while you're sinning, um, which I try to keep him on my mind, you know, through temptation. Um, and, and he helps me get through it. But generally, your mind is not on God when you're sinning. Um, so to yeah. take your mind off of God causes distress for someone whose goal is to keep his attention on God 24-7 and have this effect of this renewal of your mind. And I would argue even a moment with our attention off of God arguably is evil, you know. And and mostly for, like, my own sake, and I, you know, not, not to put anything on anybody, but, you know, there's this saying, you know, aim small, miss small, so if I aim to have my mind on God 24-7, <clears throat> there's a better chance. And, you know, not aim to do it necessarily, but aim to have that desire. You know, what kind of person, what, what kind of things do I have to pursue? What kind of person do I have to become to want to have my mind on God 24-7, not just to do it, you know? And trusting in Him in that direction, but I, I think... <laughs> You know, a lot of people, they see this verse, harbor what is evil. Well, evil is what I don't like. <laughs> and hold fast to what is good. Well, good is what I like. Or what makes me feel happy. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, we gotta, you know, and my biblical definitions of good and evil might be wrong, but I think there's a lot, like, you could really search, just just to understand this one verse, you could, you could read the Bible for weeks and weeks and weeks, <laughs> and like, still learn more how to do this verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up um, three three points that I think are worth addressing that I want to get to, uh, Nikki. Um, that which is good is that which pleases God. I think that's a very not not. I don't think that's oversimplifying the concept of good. I I think that actually really um, makes our target even a little higher. Is to say that it not just um, in a general sense the will of God, but more specifically, that which pleases God, um, which of course is going to be His will, but 
now we have a clear framework for what is good found in scripture, whatever's aligned with the character of God, whatever's aligned with uh, the purpose of God in the earth and the word of God and the person of Jesus. Um, you, you did make that statement that I, I'd want to address, which is, you said, arguably to take the mind off of God at any moment can, can be evil. I would, I would push back and say, not just for the sake of people who don't want to, I don't want to burden people with uh, an expectation that can lead to a sense of condemnation. But so I'm going to frame it up by saying, I think instead of saying that any moment my mind is off God, that is evil. I would rather say that's unhelpful and there's potential for evil in that. I'm almost like more inclined to do what is sinful when my mind is off him. Cause I think that that standard of think about God all the time, every second, every moment can really uh, cause someone to grow discouraged when they can barely think about God in the morning. And so I'm, I'm not saying lower the standard. I am actually saying the standard, like the ideal human experience is to have my mind fixed on Jesus all the time. Realistically though, uh, I struggle just to get him on my mind for like a quarter of the day. And that's just me being honest. I'm trying. Um, And so I don't want anyone in here thinking, dang it, I'm a failure because you're measuring your success based on how much you think about God. Let's get to the point where that becomes more natural and more organic. Um, But it starts with seeking God intentionally, privately, so that throughout the day, your mind is more naturally fixated on him. And so I tell people, look, if you don't give God time, and, and this is hard for every person's life is different, but arguably what's best for us each day is to give God the best portion of our day. Because when I seek him first, uh, I'm positioned and my heart is set up to be meditating on him and be aware of his presence throughout the day. And you made a great point about how like sin um, is often the result of me taking my mind off God. I would also say sometimes, like even in the middle of sin, I'm aware of God, but I wouldn't necessarily call that being fixed on Him or focused on Him. So I think there's a difference. A lot of people are just aware of God, like just the fact that He is, but they're not actually meditating on Him and consciously, you know, focusing on His near presence. I think that becomes quite different from just an awareness. Um, like, oh, he's around, but I want to actually seek him and, and, and you know, aim my heart in the direction of God. So I digress. Go ahead, Nikki. But thanks for sharing that. Just wanted to address that. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I just found myself thinking about something and then it delved into so many different things that are in the word. Uh so when it says, sorry, I'm reading the the King James Version, but it says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave unto that which is good. Um, this should give, at, at least for me, it gives me pause to, to look within self. And let's say you're sitting with a brother or sister and, and you know, uh, we all have different understandings of things but we need to come together in unity that needs to be there that love needs to be there the genuineness of your love have you ever stopped to say okay am i am i actually loving this person or am i or am i pretending to love this person um 
and then you, you that self-reflection is is necessary um and this is sort of part of the renewing of the mind where like if somebody let's say says something that that would be considered insulting to you are you going to allow that to stick to you or or are you going to in love go to your brother or sister and and deal with that issue as we're called to do you know you take them in private speak with them about it in private and and fix whatever part of that bridge has been broken and that in doing that making that effort to see your brother as greater than yourself your brother or sister greater than yourself loving them as you would love yourself um then you can see the genuineness of that love because you genuinely do care for the well-being for that person and if you can if you can project that outwardly right um I don't know if I'm making sense, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> there's a few scriptures that I thought of. Like uh, we t- we talked about, I think last week before my computer died, was uh, the correlation between loving somebody and then dwelling on the good things. And so it says, "Cleave unto that which is good." Well, it made me think of Philippians four eight, where it says, "Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely." Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so when we focus and cleave on to the good within each other and, and outwardly with others, when when we focus on that and love that part of that person and encourage that part of that person, which inevitably comes from God because all good things come from Him, right? Um, then we're being good ambassadors for the Lord as well, Right? And it says to abhor that which is evil. What is evil? Everything contrary, like it says, he who holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. Well, what what is what is good? The seven spirits of God are rest on him: the spirit of wisdom, understanding; spirit of counsel and strength; the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So, anything contrary to that, well, Jesus is life. The source of life comes from God. So, the contrary to that would be death right? Sin and death, the wages of sin and death. So, of course, um, remember that we we hate evil because it's contrary to life. It, it, it breathes death into others. That's why, you know, there's that power of the tongue, the encouragement, the loving, the loving nature that we can bring forward and edify another people or do the opposite, which breathes death on others. And you know, when you hold these things and you look within yourself, it's like, am am I being loving by doing this? Or internally, is this out of some self sense of pride? Is this coming out of me? Am I reacting to this person in pride? Is this about me crushing that other person or edifying them? And when you're self-reflective on the words that you use and the way that you speak to others, the more you come to realize what it means to truly love another person instead of just having the the appearance of loving another person, that genuine love. I don't know if I'm, my thoughts are all over. Anyway, I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I understood everything that you're saying. And um, I think I'll just say this and then we'll get to whoever's next because we have a long list. I will say that Paul intentionally connects loving and the genuineness of love. He connects that to what is good, meaning I'm never loving someone while 
operating outside of what God defines as good. And so to live by my own standard of goodness that is in conflict with God's is to no longer be truly, genuinely loving people. So his commands lead us into love. Um, Looking at the beautiful list Ariel gave us. uh, James. James, the cheese man. Yes. Putting you on the spot. I, I am the cheese man. And funny enough, I haven't changed it yet. <laughs> Grogu made this name for me, and I'm not taking it away until he takes it away. And that is that. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, I didn't mean to go and ramble there. Now, now my thoughts are a little bit all over the place after hearing everybody. Because initially it would stand out for me, and I wasn't here the last time I had to work, you know, so I don't know what we all went over, but uh, I just love the idea of how uh, and I had it. Hold on, let me get to my Bible. I just love the idea of like um, how it says that we are not uh, I love the idea of verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then he goes and talks about how there's many different members of the body, and like some of us prophesy, and there's, you know, and I just kind of love this idea, like, you know, he's really, I think the idea here is he's teaching us how to be, you know, one body and how to be united. Because, you know, let's be honest, you know, It'd be difficult when they get when you get a lot of us in, in, together sometimes, you know. You know, I, I'm sure, but he wants us to be united and everything. And I don't really know where I'm going with it, but it's just something that stuck out with me, you know. And uh, also, like the idea of like transformation, like like that's really been like keen on my mind lately, just because. It's really impossible, like, do a lot of things without God, and it's like it requires us to just lay our life down every day for Him. You know, getting up, I get up, I'm starting to change my habits, and when I get to work now, I'm like, I'll say a prayer and be like, God, just help me, uh, you know, reflect you and and like show show. I I just ask Him like to reflect Him with 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 the guests that come through, and and you know. Because it says in his word to love, you know, to love your neighbor, to love your enemy. So, like, help me love those people who annoy me. Help me love the people who come through my line, you know. And honestly, I've been having great days. And I've realized I've been, um, like, just more cheerful toward everybody. And, and it shows, I can tell, you know. And it's those habits that are transforming me, you know. And I don't know, just the idea of transformation is really cool because it is it is amazing. And that's the whole idea. It's like it's impossible to for us to follow the law or to follow a lot of things, but we have to constantly lay down our, our life for him and pray and you know, and he'll change our heart. Because that's all that it's all about, it's the heart. Anyways, those are just ideas that are bouncing around. I probably went off topic, but uh that I share. <laughs> Never. Anything you say immediately becomes on topic, even if it's off. 
<laughs> no, but you you made a lot of good points. It it just at the at the core of this is the genuineness uh, of the heart. And you were mentioning this earlier. It was yesterday in the chat. Um, the VC in the morning. The day before. I don't know what day it was. Yeah, no, it wasn't. I, I don't even know what day it is. But you were Wait. just talking about how that's what God is concerned with is that people would genuinely, like, honestly love each other. And that will never be void of truth. That's always guided by the truth. You know, love and truth never are without each other. And so when we, you know, know Jesus and the truth and live out the truth, that will look like love. And when we're loving, it'll be guided by his truth. Uh, Christian. Some, someone named Christian? Uh, must be a new guy. I haven't heard him in a while. Bro, no, it's me. It's a Rocky Chain. What? Whatever happened to Rocky Chain? Like, like I'm surprised. Um, all ser all seriousness. So, like, I kind of lost some of the things I was gonna say, but I kind of did. And so, I'm gonna try my best to just, I guess, bundle all all of my thoughts together. <laughs> And, um, and see how where that goes. So, like, like one or two, a question I would like to ask is, what if someone who has like, like someone I know, uh, has like the struggles with depression, OCD, and some other things in their mind, and they can't really, they have like a very very hard time mentally staying like, focused on Christ throughout their whole day, and, like, other thoughts, like, for example, temptation and whatnot, it's just, they're, like, overwhelming them, and aside, with that question, I want to, like, hold off on that question, um, to maybe give this point, um, it's that, like, while we are, well, I guess, I. Uh, it's another question. <laughs> um, bear with me, guys. I'm sorry, but um, Wait, like, can I address the first question real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you said, essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong. You said, how do we focus on Jesus throughout the day and not have so many tempting thoughts? Is is that kind of the main question you had, or was it a little different? Um. That is the question I had, but it's like, except that person had, um, it's like struggle with OCD and depression, like severely. Like, how can, uh, you encourage, I guess, yeah, how can you encourage or, I guess, like, give that person any advice to, um, to them, uh, like, I guess maybe some practical ways to maybe think about the word, um, um, like throughout their days with the other overwhelming thoughts. I don't know. Is that that's the question that I was asking? Yeah. Sounds like this is. I, I think I know who you're talking about too. This sounds like someone who overthinks and they overanalyze and they're in their head too much. As opposed to the person that never self-reflects, this person obsessively self-reflects, and and then following Jesus becomes such a burden because you're just 
so consistently aware of your own failure and inability and weakness and shortcoming and it plagues you and it causes anxiety and it cripples you. Like I, I've been there. I know what that's like. And I think when we, when we just stay our mind on Jesus, like truly seek him, um, the way scripture communicates what it looks like to pursue God, when we do that, there is a kind of peace and a kind of comfort that God brings that I don't think we can explain. I, I don't understand the methodology of it all. I just know when a person like that is so in their head, the best thing they can do is take all of that mental energy and direct it straight toward the Father and meditate on the beautiful, simple gospel. Jesus came, the, the eternal word emanating from the Father came down into our world, took on flesh, lived the life I couldn't, died my death, and just meditate on that. Meditate on the Father's love. And of course, it's going to be a battle to even get into that space where you can truly have you know, thoughts that are about God. But the longer you really sit there um, and, and seek Him in prayer, um, in His Word, and then get around other people who are encouraging godly thoughts, um, that's going to help. I think there are many angles you can tackle it from, but the the simple answer is that that person needs to consciously take their thoughts captive by meditating on the truth by the power of God. So that requires prayer, surrender, humility, uh, confession, asking for help, um, all these different things. But... I just wanted to answer that because it really resonated me, with me when you when you asked that, um, and I just I feel that man, I really do. So go ahead. Sorry, didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to answer that. Oh no, you're good. You're good. Um, actually, that answered uh, most of my question too. I and I I also needed that as well. I I'm not that I'm not a person that it's. Uh, diagnosed with OCD, but I can definitely overthink things. It'd be in my own head too much as well. But I thank you for that, Jason. Um, and pray, praise to the Lord as well. Amen. Let me get to Sleigh Bell. I think that's who's next. That's the name that Ariel put. Sleigh bell. Did that person leave? Are they still here? Am I just not seeing them? Um, Sleigh bell is Mr. Duck 2. Mr. Duck 2. Okay. Mr. Duck 2. Yeah, go ahead. Quack, quack. Are you there, Mr. Duck? He wasn't raising his hand. It was a miscommunication. Ah, uh, okay. Um, Ken. Man, you said everything that I wanted to say, but, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, jump on this anyway. So the, a question earlier was uh, brought up about what happens when – you enjoy sin still, but are still trying to fight it, and you don't know how to do so. 
And a lot of this has to do with this transformation and meditation. And a, a root of this really comes down to a sensitivity of sin. Where is our sensitivity to it? We can get so far to one side, as you uh, mentioned, that we can be so introspective into ourselves, and then opposite of thinking that we are so secure that we forget to stay in the truth as well. And when, when we are sensitive about it, it's the same concept of why the law was brought in the first place, to make us aware of sin. And there's the awareness of it outside of believing and then inside of believing as well. So when we come into the truth, uh, we have to realize that we've been desensitized from this world, our flesh, our desires. That doesn't change just because we accept the truth and realize our inadequacy to be able to handle it. But that is exactly why we came to the truth, that we need a payment paid and we need to be transformed. We need to Hello? You're still you here? Okay. So we need to be transformed. We need to be resensitized to the truth. We need to know how to live, what to do. And there's so many aspects that come into play in this. This is why it's so important to get into the word and start reading it and start meditating on it how does it affect us what does that mean to me if i'm reading something from the bible how does it transform me don't just read it to know it to memorize it but how does it transform you and so we we don't have to take it all in bulk at once because we can't be fixed all at once this is our whole life that we are going to be sanctified through this process but it needs to be transforming when we go through this. And a lot of it starts with our thoughts. When, when we come into the truth and we are being resensitized, transformed, renewed by him, by the Holy Spirit and us, we need to take our thoughts captive. Because that's where everything started, that we were believing in a lie from the very beginning. That's why we muddled so far away from what we needed to be doing in the first place. And we need to realize where the lies started from and get those uprooted. And we need to take those thoughts captive to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us so we no longer live in deceptions, no longer have strongholds, these patterns of habits that we've been living in for so long that is no longer our identity, but our identity is in Christ with that transformation we need to see how we are supposed to be living. How do we love our neighbor? How do we love ourselves? How do we abide in him? And eventually, the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, we trust God to listen to us as we're told to do. As we pray for something, we trust that he will answer us. We also need to trust that the Holy Spirit will convict us when we are doing something wrong. We can't do it on our own. But we need to have the ability, the heart posture, to be transformed at the same time. We have to be willing. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, and one thing, it's funny how we like just ended up here on one verse. I jokingly said, maybe we'll get through one verse. Um, this whole concept of meditating and taking thoughts captive, the battlefield, man, when you really realize that it's absolutely in the mind um 
you start to change your strategy and it's it's less about just altering behavior and it's more about sitting at the feet of Jesus so that I think the way he does. And and what I wanted to tell you, Christian, kind of along the temptation lines, was that um you know, I guess seeking Jesus doesn't guarantee that tempting thoughts won't come our way. I think we we tend to think that if I just do this enough, then the temptation will stop. Um there might be a degree of truth to that because maybe you're as you think like Jesus, you stop putting yourself in situations that are full of temptation. But I think mainly what happens is those tempting thoughts, whether it's depression, whether it's suicide, whether it's discouragement or lust, those thoughts lose power and influence over you because your mind is set on the truth, which is far stronger than any lie. The problem is, I think the longer we're in our head, the more we just kind of put our hands up in surrender and let those lies go to town and just destroy us. And we don't, we don't, almost have the mental energy to even recall the truth. We just kind of throw our hands up, give up, and go, you know what, I'll just give in this time because I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just exhausted. And I think that's exactly when we desperately need to tap into the strength of God, uh, which is found at the end of our ourselves. So, um, Paula. Oh, Paula. Paula. Paula the Bala. Um, Brother Ken kind of hit on what I was going to say, but this is such a good topic. Um, and I just wanted to add to that, like, what you're saying is, like, we start to believe the lies. And it's so true. And, and you know, going into work and realizing that people that I'm working with, learning behavior, where these people come from. We, we 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 get stuck in the lies. We get stuck and that becomes our normal. Um, and being stuck in those lies, we believe them. And we believe them and we, we feed ourselves those lies that our actions start coming out. Our mind starts coming out based on the lies that we're believing. And it's so amazing. Um, but coming back to like justification what justification is and the righteousness of God and how we're, we're righteous based upon God's standard um, and the law that he gives, even that, you know, being righteous is because of the justification, but also his grace. The term for God's grace is the divine favor, the good will of God's grace. Like we, we don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve him but he gives freely and he is the truth that we believe the truth. And the more we believe and have faith in Jesus Christ that he gave for us, the more those lies based uh, according to his word, everything else does not add up. Like we are, we're bored. We're here to be set apart from the world and what the world says and what the world does. And the world does not understand us because it is not normal to them. They don't live that way. They don't know the truth. And we do. And to be set apart and being still not a part of the world, but still not being in the world, but still being here temporarily. This is not our home. But 
we are here and we see it. So when we speak righteous things, when we speak the the word of God, it is foreign to them because they are so lost in the lies that truth does not make sense. And seeing and and I, I can't really talk about where I'm working, but seeing them and seeing how lost in the trauma and and these people's lives and seeing the hurt, how hurt people hurt people, but them believing the lies, it has beat them up so bad that they don't know what good is because they're so used to being, um, you know, if they were abandoned, abused, whatever the case was, but the trauma has has impacted their lives to where they are so drowned in it that they don't know a way out and they don't know about God. They don't know the truth or want to know the truth because it's foreign, but they don't, they've never heard the word of God. So, I mean, the righteousness of God is, is, I don't know, I can't even put it, the the character, the way we are, our actions, our words, our nature, everything that God has, has, has allowed us by his grace to have makes us set apart because we now know what God has called for our lives and what he has done that it, it makes us want or changes us like Ken was saying. Um, and I just wanted to tie into it, but yeah, that's, this is so amazing, but um, struggling with, you know, things that we struggle with. Cause I, I'm speaking to myself things I struggle with in, in your mind, how you overthink things and, and you want things to be right and, and you want to keep, you know, pushing forward and um, being pleasing to God and, and doing everything um, that we can possible to please God. But us even calling calling his name when we're struggling, that is pleasing to him. Coming to him with, with our imperfections and the things that we're struggling, that is pleasing to him because we're running to him and we're asking him for help. And we're asking him and, and knowing that we're struggling. He's not ashamed of, of us. He's not ashamed that or, or says you shouldn't be thinking those things. You shouldn't be acting that way. He does not condemn us in that way. If anything, it's so that we can bring it out to him so he can help us. By you know his strength, not our own strength, not our own ways and what we want to do or or how we want to do them or how we expect him to answer our prayers. No, everything that he has for our life is for good, and we have to believe and and really hold that because how much he loves us and cares for us. Um, but yeah, that's all I had to say. Amen. Go off. I love it. Good to hear from you, Paula. Looking at the list of hands, Rocky Chen has two big old Godzilla hands. But I think before, um, it was Matt. So, Matt, go ahead, buddy. Well, I was just going to say, um, just there's a couple things that came up um, on the topic of like what is good. Um, I know one thing at least through experience, um, this idea of the the bride of Christ in the church um, and fully experiencing Jesus, you know, that that definitely has a role to play. And, you know, just the fact that, you know, like like right now we're all here, you know, wanting to encourage one another 
and strengthen our own relationship with Jesus. And I definitely, you know, to the things that please God, you know, his bride is definitely one of them. Just a sec, my son is getting my attention. You can come back to me. Yeah. You're right, God is pleased. Um, Christian. This is two hands raised. You have to tell me, Christian, is that your actual hand? Or did you just Google biggest hand on the planet and then and then you paste it? <laughs> the biggest hand on the planet. No, that's actually my actual hand. I think there's a feature in, on iPhone you can actually like hold down the subject of your photo, like a person or your hand, and it will crop itself and you can save it as a separate photo. Um, I'll probably have to, I'll probably, will definitely show you that another time. But, um, yeah, that's my, that's my actual hand. Um, what was I going to say? Is it possible that, like, maybe due to trauma or due to, let's see, certain circumstances in life, like, for example, um, this might be a little touchy, and, um, like, uh, for example, he, Hearing about how African Americans were abused by the Bible, and can that like impact the way, um, the way that the person receives receives the the Lord and His salvation, despite through maybe having those strong emotional attachments or to the hurt and the pain. I guess, like, learning from, or not not having to experience, but maybe learn from um, others and from other people's experiences. Like, can those circumstances and harsh environments impact their own salvation or try to know Jesus' love? Like, can... I know that that's a question that um that's like going around in my mind of trying to like formulate to be under understandable. Sure. And it sounds like that that's something that's been stewing for a while. Um rather than because we only have five minutes, and I don't think five minutes is a sufficient time for all of us to share our thoughts. Can you put a pin in that question for me, Christian? And then um reach out to me as well. I want to give you my personal answer. Um, but I want to read one more verse before we close it up in about five minutes. Is that all right? Or if you guys have thoughts on Christian's question, you can always reach out to him as well. I don't want to, I'm not blowing it off. I just think that is a very deep well of a question. So. I see the silent treatment. A okay, okay, it's fine. I'll, Man, I'll definitely, I'll definitely try to pin it, pin it down here. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it, bro. Yeah, you got it. Let me take it back to Romans 12 so we can at least say we got through two verses. Uh, right after he says, let love be genuine. Um, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Which comes right after. We forget. This comes right after, like, how to use gifts. Love always provides us clear instruction on how to use our gifts and how to play our role in the body. It's always going to be love that provides that framework. And then verse 10 says, Let or love one another 
with brotherly affection. So that seems to be what it means to have genuine love. There's a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's an interesting way to explain love is when you desire to outdo. It's not like a comparative thing or a competition. It's where my goal is to actually serve you and and show honor to you and lay my life down for you um, as best as I possibly can. That's a crazy definition of love. Um, what a standard. <laughs> what a standard. Any thoughts, questions? Got about three minutes, and then I got a dip. You guys can always hang out and talk a little longer. Andrea, can I say something? Or, um, yeah, Andrea, is that you? Go ahead. I was gonna say just um the, about love and how. Love is impossible without the Holy Spirit. God has to orchestrate it. It is not possible for us to to fully experience love or even do it without the Holy Spirit, without God, because it's just, you know, based on selfish ambition. So God has to, um, he has to lead it, and he has to be the one that, um, uh, he he he's the one that orchestrates it. It's it's all God. It has to be the one that just um and that's about walking in purpose and walking in and uh and God because he's the one that postures you and gets you to where you can walk and love people. Oh, it's not possible without God at all. Without God. So um uh he's the one, you know, we don't have it in our power to But, you know, seeking the Lord and, you know, like you said, and just uh, seeking his face and and um, showing him you in every situation how to love, whether it's love your spouse, love your children, love, love, um, you know, whoever, you know, in your actions, how you talking, how you all of those things from moment to moment, because maybe one minute I'm loving, you know, like the Lord, but then. You know, somebody did something and, you know, it's, it, we're in a different place, like, and God's, you know, so just, you know, um, letting God just carry you and, and, um, those things so that you're, that we are, you know, just constantly walking in, in fellowship with him so that we're not, um, walking in ourself, our own selfish ambition. Wonderful point. That's so funny. I, I saw in the chat, Andrea put her hand up, another Andrea, and then you start talking. I thought, yeah, this is the Andrea that put her hand up. And <laughs> what are the odds? That's so funny that you had something to say. But yeah, I, I think it's so important to understand that love is the fruit of the Spirit, period. God leads us into that. God transforms us by the renewing of our mind so that we are uh, able to Go and love people with his love. It doesn't come um, easy. <laughs> the love we have for people is actually a reflection of how um, how well we know God and pursue him on our own. Like that, That's the fruit of it. That's the fruit of knowing God, his love for people. But 
Andrea, other Andrea, M, you can go ahead now and share your thoughts, and then we'll close up for the night. I was just going to build off of what you said um, about trying to outdo each other and out honor each other and like put everybody else first. Um, is that if we were both trying to like compete to like honor each other, then we wouldn't ever have to worry about ourselves because the other person would be doing it for us, basically. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like saying, if I'm trying to honor somebody else more than me and they're doing the same thing, then we wouldn't ever have to be like selfish or worried about ourselves or worried about. Mm -hmm. Totally. Like the only reason I'm in competition with people is because I'm insecure in, in some way and I'd, I'm maybe lacking and I'm afraid that I won't get mine. But if I trust that God is caring for me, and 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 I'm serving you and you're serving me and we're serving each other. Well, you, then you have a community of people whose needs are met. And um, just like what we see in Acts, like, man, these people selling their lands, selling their their houses, taking any extra money, laying it at the feet of the apostles. And so it's like when everyone gives, when everyone has the mind of Christ, what kind of community does that create? It's a beautiful community where no one's like, I don't know, living with a scarcity mindset. Like, I don't know, I might not have enough, so I can't really serve you. I know God's going to take care of me, so I can take care of you. And then you, taking care of other people, might inadvertently take care of me. And so it's just the, the way God's wired the church is that it actually requires a great level of trust to say, I'm going to go and serve um, my brothers and sisters in the midst of my own needs. Right, because I trust he'll take care of me. It's it's hard. It is really hard. Um, but you know, eventually, Lord willing, because I I saw Paige wrote, it's hard when we're when we are in that community, even in your own home. Yeah, I think that's the heart behind why we're trying to get physical gatherings started in the world <laughs> that are extensions of this ministry. That's why we created. Uh, and if you're not in California, Texas, or Florida get more people from your area in the discord. Let's get this thing going. But that's why we're doing it is because we, we understand that community is where things really start to blossom and flourish. Um, not just in, not just in the digital space, but in the physical as well. When you mesh the two, you got a powerhouse. So, well, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Someone want to pray us out and then we'll pick it up next week. At verse 11. Yeah, Christian, go ahead. Okay. On the I thank you for gathering, my, allowing my brothers and sisters tonight to gather in fellowship and worship you tonight. Thank you for putting fresh air in our lungs and for your grace and mercy that is upon our each and every one of our lives, as well as our family's lives. I ask you, Lord Yahshua, for uh, forgive us for any sins that we may have committed knowingly or unknowingly, but also put, put your head's protection around the crop of our heads to solve our feet throughout tonight and throughout the rest of the week. We thank you and praise you, and we give glory to your precious and beautiful name. We love you, Lord Yeshua. 
and Holy Spirit have your way in our lives. Um, amen. Amen.